Shalom. This is Gary Dershinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. And the passage that Sarah had opportunity to share from are two of the most amazing passages in all the Bible. You know, Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Isaiah chapter 11, that speaks of the coming Messiah. Both those passages we recite here at Beth Ariel every Shabbat. When we light the candles, it's Isaiah 11 to remind us of Messiah, the light of the world, who always dwells in our midst, the one full of counsel, might, and strength. And we always recite the Shema because we're here to worship God and to celebrate him and to rejoice in his kindness to us. It is no mistake that when Yeshua walked this earth and before he gave his life a ransom for many, that he would be investigated, examined with regard to his qualifications so as to give his life for us. So at that last week, as he entered into Jerusalem, all the different Jewish factions and sects and all the different uh, Jewish groups had rallied around him and asked him questions in order to see if he truly was one who was the Messiah of Israel. And one of the questions he was asked was, what is the great commandment? What is the greatest commandment? Now, if I closed the Bible and didn't know much about this, and if I knew that there were 613 commandments, which we generally and traditionally count the commandments as, 365 positive, 248 negative commandments, if there are 365 commandments, I think that's a very good question. Of all the commandments, which is the greatest? Because if I'm going to start somewhere, at least let me start with the most important one and work my way down. If I was asked that question, I would say that the greatest command was, I am the Lord your God who called you out of the land of Egypt. Have no other gods before me. That's what I would say. If my son asked me what is the great commandment, that's an easy one. Honor your father and mother. That's easy. You know, honor your father and mother. And I can make a good case for it because unless we honor God, we will not honor our father and mother. Maybe that is the greatest commandment. But no, Messiah told us the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might, and all your strength. To love him with all of your being, as Sarah had said, with every every ability we have, everything that is true about us, everything that is real about us, is meant to give glory, honor to God, which is another way of saying loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That question, by the way, was asked by others. When the early time of the time of Messiah and just before his coming, there were two great rabbis among Israel, Shammai and uh, Hillel. 
They were asked a similar question. A pagan came to to them, came to Shammai first and said to him, if you can tell me what the meaning of the law is while standing on one foot, I will convert to your faith. Shammai was a very austere sort of teacher among the Jewish people. And he was a very strict teacher among the Jewish people. So when he was asked that question, he said, you have no idea what the law is. Depart from me. Stop wasting my time. It's an impossibility. If you're really serious about God, then come back to me and I'll talk to you about it. Then he went to Hillel, another leading rabbi at the time. And he asked him, if you can teach me what the law is while standing on one foot, I will convert. And so Hillel said, do not do what you would not done to yourself, to others. This is all the law and the prophets. The rest is all commentary. And that's not too bad either. Love others. Don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you. But Messiah had even a better response and the right response. At least the one who questioned him said, hey, that is true. That's right. You spoke rightly. And he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So my thought was, why is that commandment the greatest of all the commandments? And these are my thoughts. I think it's the greatest of all the commandments, or I think Yeshua spoke of them as, or it, as the greatest of all commandments, because it's one of the commandments that tells us about the character of God, unlike any other commandment. Because when we read the Shema, we're told, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's the only God. He's the true God. There is none other. But that word one is a unique word. And I just had conversation with someone about this yesterday, Jewish person, yesterday. And they said, how or the question in our minds, and certainly in my mind as a Jew before I came to know Yeshua as Messiah, was how can Yeshua be God? How can I acknowledge him as Messiah if the scripture says that he is the only God, if he's the only true God? But that word one tells us something about the character of God that no other word does. Because that word one does not mean a singularity of reality. You know, it was Maimonides who had put together the 13 articles of Jewish faith. And when he wrote those 13 articles found in every Siddur, he said, we believe with perfect faith that God is one. And he used the Hebrew word yachid, not the word echad. The word Yahid means, yes, an absolute singularity. That's why it's used of Isaac in Genesis chapter 22 or 20. I always get them mixed up. But in, when he's told to offer up his son Isaac, God says, take your son, your Yahid son, your one and only son. Now, it is true he had Ishmael, but this was the one and only son of promise. None other of Abraham's sons would inherit the blessing that God gave to Abraham, recorded in chapter 12. He's the only singular son who was to receive that promise. But that word yachid is not the word that's used here. In fact, in the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant Scriptures, it is the parallel word to the Greek word that speaks of Yeshua as the one and only son of God, the unique son of God, the one who is the Messiah of Israel. But the word in Hebrew is echad. Now, how else is that word used? Well, it's used in Genesis chapter 2, where we're told that when a husband and wife are to leave their mother and father and cleave to one another, they become an echad. They become one flesh. 
Somehow the two are merged into one and yet they remain distinctly husband and wife. Distinctly from each other, but yet united to one another so that they, like God, are referred to as an achad. When the spies were sent into the promised land to check out the land, they came back with a cluster of grapes. It says they came back with one echad of grapes. But that cluster of grapes was made up of many grapes, making up that echad cluster. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is told to take two sticks and to prophesy about the reunification of the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And he's told to take two sticks, right on one Judah, right on the other Israel, put them together and they will become one echad in your hand. The two sticks becoming one, the two, the, the two individuals, man and woman, becoming one. And so there's something mysterious about the character of God that we cannot put into a box or dissect in the manner we would like to in order to understand him completely and fully. He exists in a mysterious way that requires us to come to him in faith. And thus he is an echad. So I think it's probably, it is the greatest commandment because it's the commandment that tells us about the uniqueness of the very character of God with just one word. It's not only the, a, a commandment that tells us of the character of God, but it tells us of God's condescension. What I mean is, if you read it carefully, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Think about that. The God of the universe belonging to us. The God of the universe so identifying with us that he is our God. He belongs to us just as we belong to him. It's an amazing concept to think of, but that's what the verse says. The Lord, our God, the Lord, our God that belongs to us. He is our guy. He's not the God of the Babylonians. He's the God of Israel. But what's really neat about this passage, it's not just that he belongs to us as a nation. He belongs to us individually if we come to him in faith. He's the God of, put your name in there. That's who he is the God of. Years ago, when Mary Lou and I, we were married, not that long ago, but years ago, someone gave us a plaque with a passage from the New Covenant Scriptures of Yochanan, John 3.16. For God so loved, and they had our name inscribed, God so loved Gary and Mary Lou. They used to say, God so loved Gary, Lou, and Mary. <laughs> but God so loved Gary and Mary Lou that he gave his only begotten son. God gave his son for me. He gave his son for you. He becomes our God. He becomes my God. And we become his children, his people. No wonder it's considered the greatest of all the commandments because it speaks of that condescension of God where he dwells with us, embraces us, and allows us to embrace him in return. And the third thing that strikes me about the passage is not only the character of God that's revealed, the condescension of God to benefit us, but the compassion of God. We're told to love God. We oftentimes talk about God. 
We oftentimes, and I love to theologize about God, philosophize about God, think about God. But the ultimate desire of God and the ultimate benefit of doing all of that stuff is not so that we have a clearer understanding, although we're to love him with all of our mind, but most importantly, that we are to love him. We're to love God, not just be awestruck by him, although we should. Not that we might be mindful of our distance from him because he's a holy God and we are not. But we are called upon not just to honor him, not just to worship him, not just to follow him, not even just to obey him. We're called to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you love him that way, you will obey him. If you love him that way, you will follow him. If you love him that way, you will respect him and you will be in awe before him. But most importantly, you will be grateful and thankful for him. You will stand before him and sink to your knees and say, Dear God, thank you for your goodness and kindness to me. It is true of everyone that comes to know God through faith in Yeshua that the first words out of their mouth are, Thank you. Why? Because he's done something for us, and because of that, we are to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Fortunately, God even helps us there. Because in the next chapter, in chapter 7, it will say, I did not set my love upon you because you were the greatest of all people. I did not set my love upon you because you were the smartest of all people, the most spiritually sensitive of all people, the most introspective and individuals that knew of your needs. He said, I've set my love upon you because I have loved you. The only reason we can love God is because he loves us first. And therefore, we are called upon to respond in his great love by loving him in return. Sarah said some of the ways that she learns from God is reading his word, but sees the creation, interacts with other people, thinks deeply about the things of God, and hears him speak into the depths of our heart. God speaks in all of those ways, but ultimately it is to bring us before him in reverence, adoration, and humility, saying, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for reaching out to me. Thank you for making yourself known to me. And he's making himself known to you today. Because you're not here by accident. You're here because of God's design and God's sovereign plan. Just like Israel came into existence out of God's sovereign plan. And you are part of his plan this day. And you are hearing the words that were recited and sung. You saw the joy expressed in dance. And you're now hearing something of an explanation of how I look at those verses. And now you have the opportunity to respond to it in the depth of your heart. By saying, you know what you say sounds reasonable. You don't have to say it sounds right. It sounds reasonable. And so, Lord, help me to be responsive to it and not to ignore the wonderful offer of God's love to you if you've never heard it before this day. And so my prayer is that through all that happened this morning, all the joy and laughter and reflection and serious contemplation, that you might consider 
bowing your heart before our Lord and accepting him as Messiah and Savior. Father, we're grateful for this day. We're thankful for your word. Indeed, hear everyone in this room. Listen up. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one and he loves us deeply and therefore we can now love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. Help us to do that for your honor and for your glory. For it's in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.